This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from Wild Turkey Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey. Let's tune in to their one-on-one with Jamal, a real bartender from Old Fourth Ward in Atlanta. I really get into the backstory of whatever I'm pouring. Out of respect. There are literally years of experience behind these bottles. Wild Turkey, same recipe since 1942. If you want a true classic, this is what you want to order. Wild Turkey. Wild Turkey Distilling Company, Lawrenceburg, Kentucky. Copyright 2020, Campari, American, New York, New York. Never compromise, drink responsibly. Hi there, hockey fans, and welcome to TuckCast with Statsman and AJ Rotowire's hockey podcast show. I'm Paul Bruno, and you can follow me at Statsman22. My partner in these pods, AJ Scholes, is also uh, ready to roll, and you can follow him at AJ Scholes24. That's AJSCHOLZ24. The games of the opening round have produced a few surprises, uh, AJ, as is typical of the NHL playoffs in round one. I was at game three of the Leafs Caps tilt last night, which opened with an absolutely electric atmosphere that was wiped out within five minutes. But boy, oh boy, what a dramatic finish with a winning overtime goal from my underdogs who are now leading the series. You can't believe how psyched I am, or maybe you can, knowing me as you do, AJ. (laughs) You must also be thrilled, though, that the Penguins are making a short work of Columbus, it looks like. Is it an omen that the presumptive starting goalie for your club has suffered a pregame injury in game one for the second straight year? I mean, if, if that's what it takes for the Pens to win the Stanley Cup, I'll take it. I mean, to be fair, though, uh, not many teams can lose their number one goalie and then put in the uh, organization's all-time wins leader, who has since tied the franchise record for most p- postseason victories and could certainly break that record tonight. So when that's your backup, uh, I think you're in good hands. I do find it also interesting. I was uh, just looking this morning. Every single series has at least one overtime game. Uh, your Leafs caps have been all overtime games, so a, a real thriller there. So I think for all the harping we did uh, about some of these playoff seedings and, and how they did it earlier in the year, we're clearly getting some solid matchups uh, to, to kick off the playoffs. So it's been really, really exciting. Uh, before we go into the rest of the show, I will remind our listeners that throughout the week, if you have questions um, about your lineups, mostly daily this time of year, uh, fantasy hockey, maybe you have keeper questions, uh, you know, for your dynasty league that, that you're pondering or just hockey in general. Uh, you can tweet at us and, and we'll try and answer your questions throughout the week or maybe in one of our next shows. Uh, you can follow me, as Paul mentioned, at AJ Scholes 24 and you can follow the Statsman at Statsman 22. All right, my friend, we're going to do this a little bit differently than we have uh, all season long. We have an opportunity to do a progress report on each of the series. And why don't we begin in the East when we take a look at the Montreal versus Rangers uh, tilt. It started out in favor of the Rangers with an upset win in Montreal in Game 1 where Henrik Lundqvist picked up a 2-0 shutout. But the Canadians have since rebounded, winning second game 4-3 in overtime, effectively salvaging their season with a late goal in regulation to tie it and then taking the win. And then swinging back to home ice advantage with a win in New York, a 3-1 victory. So uh, I guess you could say after three games, everything is as expected, but it it took a bit of a winding road to get to a 2-1 Canadians lead, AJ. Yeah, and I think it's indicative of of what we were both kind of looking at. This is one of the two series, I think, that we disagreed on who would be the winner. I had the Habs in seven. You had New York. And at this point, it really could go either way, although I will say, uh, if game three is any indication, the series isn't going to match uh, last much longer. New York looked completely out of sorts uh, in their last game. You know, you got Alexander Radulov for the Canadians. He's leading both teams with five points. Uh, and that's uh, he's got Michael Grabner as the leader on, on the Rangers with just two goals. You know, and Lundqvist's numbers haven't been bad. They're, they're pretty close to prices. Uh, 0.941 for, for Lundqvist, 0.944 
Um, but King Henrik has faced a lot more shots. He's he's second in shots, but uh, faced behind Anderson. And so he's definitely getting peppered. Uh, he's going to need some defense to maybe step up to help them get, uh, get back into this one. Yeah, and you know what? We expected Shea Weber to be a lion on the Canadiens' defense, and he certainly proved to be that. He, he started the season off uh, like a house on fire for the Habs, but then that really settled down in terms of the scoring and, and was, was just a stalwart on the blue line as expected. And he's really upped his game in the postseason with two points, a plus three, and, and he's logging almost 30 minutes a game so far, so he's certainly delivering the goods. But I, I like also to point out Jeff Petrie has been a great supporting role on the blue line, and, and he's up over 24 minutes as as well a veteran on the blue line and, and this is really kind of the backbone of the Canadians team we certainly can talk about uh, this the great goaltending of, of Carey Price but it's the depth of defense uh, defensemen and the veteran savvy that they have back there of course they have Markov in the mix as well and they've also sprinkled in some youth but I like the trio of offense uh, of old timers on the blue line who have been down this road before it's not their first rodeo as I want I want to say and I like you and I'm a little bit surprised about the Rangers uh, lack of dynamic uh, offense, I'll say. This is a team that has historically been a really good puck-moving team, but I just haven't seen that in the playoffs so far. Maybe it's a, a testament to the fact that Montreal can skate with these guys, and, and if the Rangers can't turn the tables on what you observed in Game 3, I agree with you. It could be shorter, much shorter than expected, but I do uh, I'm do hold up hope, hope, hope that, the Can- that the Rangers can salvage at least the next game and extend this series uh, to maybe 6 or 7. Uh, so that's what I'm looking for in, in the rest of this tilt let's go to the next series aj and uh, let's take a look at ottawa and boston this is three one goal games ottawa taking the lead in the series two to one by by virtue of two four three wins in overtime in the last two games after boston uh, eked out a narrow two one victory on the road so this is as tight as we expected i think and and it could go a long way still i think the next game's in boston obviously and uh, the bruins need to tie the things up to uh to level the playing field for the rest of the way. But what do you think has is, is happened and what's going to happen in this series? Well, what I don't think is going to happen is my Bruins in five prediction. That's for sure. <laughs> um, I don't think they're going to win the next four, although it's certainly not uh, outside the realm of possibility or le- next three rather. Uh, you know, Rask has given up, as you mentioned, four goals in two straight games. And that's simply not good enough. You know, the back-to-back OT winners from Bobby Ryan and Dion Phaneuf, those are veteran guys stepping up at the right time. On the flip side, you got Bergeron with one goal and one assist. Marchant has just one uh, lone helper, and they just aren't getting the production from their top guys, which is, uh, you know, going to hurt them going into, you know, the rest of this series. Uh, I will uh, give them the benefit of the doubt a little bit on the back end. Maybe can't put all the blame on Rask. They've got a very banged up blue line. You've got Colin Miller, Adam McQuaid, Tory Krug, Brandon Carlo. All of them are out, but that doesn't explain the offensive struggles that they're having from, you know, Bergeron and Marchant. So I, I think they need to find uh, maybe it's time for a players only meeting, get the veteran guys to figure out a way to step up or maybe, you know, some uh, some good coaching up for those guys, whatever it takes. They need the you know, your top guys have to step up at the right time. Otherwise, this is going to go uh, Ottawa's way. Well, and you know, Ottawa's way has been the way it went during the regular season, AJ. They swept the season series 4 nothing, as we pointed out when we did the preview. But they also have some serious rallying points on this club. But we'll get into one of them later. But certainly the fact that they've overcome injuries on the blue line and Eric Carlson is back and looks healthy. And Dion Phaneuf has raised the, uh, the level of his play. Uh, this team is healthy going into the postseason. But they rallied around Craig Anderson in net all year long with the problems that he's dealing with off ice and his wife's cancer situation. And I find that when a team uh, galvanizes itself around something like that, they're an awfully tough out. And, and the fact is that they did have a mastery over the Bruins in the regular season. I was just thinking that the Bruins have more playoff experience, and I thought that would carry the day. But uh, it hasn't overcome, I guess, the emotional rallying point that may be the most critical uh, intangible, I'll say, AJ, in, in uh, this series. So uh, this one's got a long way to go. There wasn't much to choose from between these two teams over the regular season in terms of their eventual standings at the end of the day. And and so far, the, the tight nature of the games certainly reflects that. So uh, I think it still looks like it's six or seven games, and I, I'm not prepared to say uh, one way or another. I expect it to be a coin flip, and uh, 
as I said earlier, there's twists and turns in, in a lot of these series. This one might be the most indicative of that particular uh, axiom, I'll say. Uh, we got the next series up. I was at Game 3 last night, as I said. Washington uh, Capitals against the Maple Leafs. The Caps entered this series as prohibitive favorites, but the Leafs played them tough in the regular season, AJ. And, and uh, pundits observed that sp- the Leafs' speed could be a real wild card here. And uh, really, it's proved to be the case, from my opinion. The Leafs eking out a pair of overtime w- wins after the overtime loss in Game 1. And the young guns are appearing very fearless right now. That's a scary proposition for the presumptive favorites who are odds-on favorites to win the Cup. But, man, they might not even get past the first round here. Yeah, absolutely. It's the all-overtime series at this point. Uh, you know, four total extra, extra periods here. Uh, game 2 went into double overtime. Uh, and so I, I will admit, after that first game, you know, kind of the, the lows of hitting that uh, that overtime loss, you know, I thought maybe this was going to be too much um, for the young guns to overcome. But as I mentioned, you know, in our last show, I think maybe they're just too young to really realize that they're, you know, quote unquote, supposed to lose this series. Um, and I will point out, too, that the winners in the first two games ca- came from some unheralded guys in Tom Wilson, Kasper uh, Kapanen. And then, you know, they get Bozak to step up uh, with the game winner last night. He's got a point in eight straight games. Uh, And so, you know, I think given the propensity for postseason collapses, all of the pressure is on Washington at this point, and it's only going to continue to mount. It'll be interesting to see how they respond in their next game, but it's definitely not looking good uh, for the Capitals. AJ, you know what? You've, acu- you've been accused of being a homer all year long. I'm going to take a minute or two to, to rebut your comments and take my shot on the podium. Uh, I didn't expect this opportunity, quite frankly. But the Leafs, <laughs> the Leafs uh, have really, uh, they've really surprised a few people, but others around the league, including a, an unnamed GM, has said, you know, this is already the third most talented team in the Eastern Conference right now, and and uh, behind Washington and Pittsburgh, they've got an. It's it's the gap is narrow between those two teams in the Leafs because of the speed and and the skill of the young guns. But you also pointed out there's a couple of veterans on the Leafs who've elega- elevated their game in the postseason. Uh, Tyler Bozak and Nazem Kadri really elevated their games. And the game last night turned, in fact, on one shift where Kadri took out Brooks Orpik with two thunderous body checks, and then uh, Austin Matthews scored on the next shift. And and uh, two nothing game suddenly became two one and the Leafs were in it and and uh, boy oh boy this team has showed no fear and I mean I got another friend who's a Washington Capitals fan he works for XM Sirius Radio we were uh, con- communicating all game long and he's scared he's scared because he's seen this show before from the Caps but uh, on the other side of the coin the Leafs are showing no fear they're playing like a team that's loose and has nothing to lose but these young guns that they have uh, leading their pack. They've all played in big games before at the junior hockey level on the international stage. So they've been the guy before, and they're showing that they can be the guy on this stage, too. So that's a very scary proposition. And in goal, Freddie Anderson has been at least the equal of Braden Holtby, and that's something that nobody would have forecast. But the big Dane, uh, the great Dane, as they're calling him around here, has been (laughs) superb. And uh, boy, oh boy, if you ask me today uh, who's going to win this series, I'm leaning Toronto. Yeah, I mean it's it's definitely a, a good a good call. I I think we both uh, were on the Caps early, um, but it is what we see every time from them: Presidents Trophy, uh, and then lose. I mean, maybe they need to save something in in the postseason or in the final weeks of the regular season to maybe uh, not worry so much about the Presidents Trophy run because it really has not helped them for several years now. No, and, and there, there are pundits that say this could be the last time that, that they'll take a run like this before they have to retool because they threw a lot of money at uh, some players. They, they're getting older a little bit, and they got a guy who's a linchpin on defense and Kevin Shattenkirk, who they will not be able to retain in free agency. He was a, a rental, and he will, he will be on the free agent market. So uh, all signs point to uh, big changes in Washington unless they can uh, take three of the next four games, which is not insurmountable. Look, at we're not banking on anything. It's, in fact, there was a survey on a local radio station, and, and even the fans are still 50-50 based on uh, what they 
see so far, which is a surprise to me. I thought it would be much more slanted in favor, in favor of the Leafs by, uh, by the fans. But we, we've been burned here before, so we're going to be very cautious. We're going to enjoy the 2-1 lead. But, man, oh, man, there's, uh, there's a lot of excitement around here. And speaking of excitement, you must be feeling some. I know you're wearing your team's colors. I'm stunned that the Penguins are off to a 3-0 three, lead in this series. They took the first two games convincingly in Pittsburgh with 3-1, 4-1 wins before uh, eking out an OT victory in Game 3 that really has the Jackets on the ropes. Look, at, at the beginning of the season, AJ, I thought... The Blue Jackets' size would be a big factor here, particularly on a worn-down defense with the Penguins, but it hasn't turned out to be that way. And and is that the key thing in this series, that the Pens have somehow managed to negate the the physicality of the Jackets? What do you see? We watch these games closely. Yeah, it's not so much negating the physicality, but I think it's um, avoiding getting sucked into it. You know, I've seen in the past where teams have played uh, the Penguins physical and, you, and you've seen Sidney Crosby, especially uh, with uh, with Columbus has kind of lost, you know, uh, and Brandon Dubinsky, especially has kind of lost his head, gotten, you know, off his game. Uh, Malkin's been been prone to doing the same. And so I think uh, whether it's, you know, the the line mates that they have, whether it's, you know, Mike Sullivan's voice uh, in their ear, something has them basically letting it go and kind of ignoring it. And, you know, it's hard to ignore some big thundering hits. There have been some very punishing hits. Um, we obviously saw everything that happened with Matt Calvert in, in that uh, situation there. And so they've been able to kind of put uh, put it away, turn the other cheek, and, and focus on playing their game, which is much more uh, in line with what, you know, what you're seeing in Toronto, a, a speedy team that relies on, on fast play, getting up and down the ice, um, and so I, I do think uh, I wouldn't be surprised to see Columbus come out and get the game tonight. They're, they're still at home. Uh, they're, you know, they're up against the, their backs are up against the wall. And so I wouldn't be surprised to see them uh, get the win tonight, but that just sends it back to Pittsburgh for game five. And so I think that ultimately will probably be where it gets shut down. Although I'm certainly hoping for, for the sweep tonight. Um, and as you uh, mentioned, uh, I think, uh, you know, Matt Murray, got hurt uh, in warmups of game one and, and fl- uh, the flower had to come back in. He needs just that, that one more uh, series clinching win to be the all time wins leader for the Penguins in the postseason, And I imagine he'll get that uh, at some point here. And then, you know, the other unfortunate injury I, I do think we need to point out is Zach Wierinski yeah. uh, took, took the puck to the face that that was tough to see. You know, at, at first I was encouraged, you know, you saw him come back into the ice in, in that game wearing the full face shield. But when it came out yesterday that he uh, is done for the year with facial fractures, it kind of boggled my mind how they ever let him get back on the ice. I mean, that seems overly dangerous uh, to get, let a guy out there. It seems like maybe they pushed him too soon without maybe fully checking uh, whether or not. Uh, and, and I shouldn't say push him. I'm sure he wanted to get back on the ice, but. You know, it seems like maybe they didn't fully check what was going on there. Uh, maybe a quick X-ray would have helped. I, I, at first, like I said, I, I applauded seeing him back out there. I was, I was glad to see that he was well enough to go. Um, but to send a guy back out there with facial fractures seems like, you know, some poor decision making and maybe an oversight on the medical staff there. That's a heck of a good call, AJ. I mean, you can laud the fact that it, it's a hockey mentality that drove him rather than a soccer mentality that would have had him looking for the magic <laughs> towel to rehab himself. but uh, And that's hashtag why I hate soccer, by the way. There's much more courage and guts shown by the hockey players, game in, game out, anywhere across the the, the landscape where hockey's played. It's just a mentality that, that drives some of these players, and maybe misguidedly in this instance, as you hi- highlighted, but a really gutsy attempt by a young man to, to get back in the play. But I want to highlight a guy who has been an enigma for me, and that's the leading scorer on your team in these playoffs so far, Evgeny Malkin. This guy was MIA, and I can see you smirking over there saying, where is this? I have to say, where the hell has this guy been for the month of March? It's like every every season he takes that month off and, and and pulls a shoot with a minor injury he's done it to me too many times in in fantasy uh, hockey play in season long that i bail on him this year but uh, boy he's come back uh, firing on all cylinders six points and a plus three averaging 19 minutes a game sure looks healthy to me 
Yeah, it's it's a nice little uh, boost that we seem to get every year heading into the postseason. I mean, obviously, I'd love to see him play all 82 games. Um, but as long as he's healthy this time of the year, uh, I'm I'm happy to take it. Uh, and the other surprise for me, I shouldn't say surprise, but uh, delight rather is Jake Gunsel getting right. a hat trick the other night. Um, he has been on an absolute tear. And, and honestly, I think that has to show how uh, convenient it is for guys to get to suit up with Sid the Kid. Uh, and, you know, Shiri's been doing solid as well. Uh, hasn't had the goals quite on display, but, uh, you know, you get to play with Sidney Crosby and the points will definitely come. Yeah, and they've masked the fact that the defense is a bit of a patchwork situation. Without Chris Letang, everybody else has to move up in class. How does that look to you? Well, the interesting thing is instead of uh, approaching it where they needed somebody to step up and, and average 25, 26, even close to 30 minutes a night like Latang did, you've seen kind of all six guys are right around the 20 minute mark. Um, and so instead of having, you know, Latang at 25 and then your last guy, maybe, uh, you know, uh, Mata or Daly or, or Schultz or Cole, one of those guys down by, you know, 18, 17, it's all pretty much just been 20 even across the board. They're really sharing uh, the ice time, and, and it's it's good to see. It seems to be working so far, so hopefully they can keep that up. Exactly. And now we'll take a look at the Western Conference, AJ, where we have another effectively best versus worst in terms of the playoff seeds, Chicago versus Nashville. We all thought it was going to be a cakewalk, but I'll remind our listeners that when we did our season previews, AJ, you and I both had Nashville at the top of this, the, the uh central division and now they're showing people why they we thought they were that good they're up three nothing in this series pekka Rinne earning two shutouts to start it off one nothing and five nothing in chicago the hawks finally scored in game three to take a early lead but the the predators came back and won that one too in overtime which has to be really demoralizing for the veteran hawks who now find themselves firmly with their butts against the banister and man oh man i i don't think it's going to be much longer before the Hawks are eliminated, and there's nobody that could have. I don't think there's many people out there that would have predicted this upset, but at the beginning of the season, like I said, the the Predators were our pick in this division, and I feel somewhat vindicated after really an embarrassing prediction uh, during the regular season for both of us, I'll say, AJ. Your observations <laughs> on this tilt. Well, I, I may have done well on that one, but predicting the Hawks in five in this series is uh, definitely my worst call so far. Uh, Preds, as you mentioned, up three nothing, and they're at home for Game Four, so they might be able to just close it out and call it a day. I'm sure uh, the the fans in Smashville will be bringing the brooms to to the Bridgestone Arena. Um, and as you pointed out, the the Hawks finally got a goal. It only took them eight periods to get one into the net, uh, and so it looked like they might be back on track after their you know kind of star group there got a power play goal to put them up two nothing. You know, Kane was set up from Keith and Taves, so it, it looked like maybe it was time uh, for them to turn the corner. But then, you know, Nashville's offense stepped up. The Preds have seen uh, seven guys who have scored goals, and that includes Ryan Johansson and Philip Forsberg, both of whom have five points total. Uh, and then, you know, Peke Rene has just been absolutely phenomenal in this series. Uh, he's got a .61 goals against average through three games. Uh, that comes with two shutouts uh, in that stretch. And so he's just been absolutely un, uh, unbeatable at this point. We saw that interesting carom off the boards that he was able to dive back into the net and get a get a uh, stick on it. That probably would have rattled them uh, at that point. And so it, it's definitely good for them uh, to you know settle down that way. So I agree, Paul. I think this is going to be a short-lived series. I, I don't expect the Hawks to, to win out here, especially when you've got two of these games left uh, still in Nashville. Yeah, and the quality of goaltending that Pecorini has been delivering is is what you might have expected when you think of his name initially, uh, one of the elite goalies in hockey. And that's another thing that really stands in the Hawks' way. This could mean, uh, AJ, the end of the, the best post-salary cap dynasty in Chicago. They, they are salary cap strapped with the deals that they inked 
for Taves and Kane for the next several years. Uh, it really puts them in a bit of a bit of a jackpot. That's why they've had to inject the likes of Kruger and Caro and Hartman and Hayden. Uh, really, some low-end uh, talent and and some low-end money assigned to these guys. That's the kind of mix you're going to see in Chicago for a couple of years until they they sort out their salary cap issues because they got even Marion Hosa in there. Duncan Keith, Seabrook, and and their goalie—they've got a lot of money spent on a on a, a handful of players who are really well decorated. So if it's a swan song, it could be indicative of a real turn in Chicago over the next few years. Uh, I hope not, because I like the fact that this is a, a post-salary cap dynasty and proves that such a thing can exist, rather than the parody that we see in other sports uh, under the salary cap, where any team can win every year. I like having one team that's at the king of the king of the hill kind of thing still and and that possibility it's good management that has guided them this far they've had a handful of stanley cups and great success but like you said they're in on the ropes right now and i really don't see a way that they can win each of the next four games but in if there's one sport where it, it can happen and it has in the past it is in hockey and that's why the first round of the nhl playoffs another example why it could be really the greatest spectacle in any sport at the playoff level uh, next series up, we got another surprise from my perspective, but you're looking really good with the prediction you made here. St. Louis over uh, Minnesota, 3 to nothing in the series. The, the Wild has been limited to one goal in each of the three games. Really, that's the key where Jake Allen has outdueled Devin Dubnik, whose game is, is back to a good level. But I'm surprised by the fact Minnesota hasn't been able to outscore the Blues in uh, 2-1, 2-1, and 3-1 losses. Yeah, I think, the, as you point out, the biggest thing I may have gotten wrong with my uh, my pick here is the number of games it would take St. Louis to move on. I, I had them in seven, but it looks like it'll be, you know, maybe four, maybe five. I would guess uh, at this point, worst case scenario for them, probably six. Uh, and as you kind of alluded to, Dubnik's numbers have been solid, a .933 save percentage and a 1.86 goals against average, but his teammates just can't seem to get more than one pass Jake Allen per night. Uh, you know, Parisi is about the only guy on this team still really playing for Minnesota. He's got two goals and one assist. You know, on the flip side, you've got Schwartz, Steen, and Berglund all have three points uh, apiece. And so they're spreading out the scoring. Uh, you know, Tarasenko is getting involved too. Uh, so they have multiple lines uh, in St. Louis that are scoring for them, which is really helpful, especially when you pair them up you know, if you can get, uh, you know, your top line out against Minnesota's third line and conversely, your third line may be against the, the top guys for for Minnesota and they still find ways to score. That's really going to take you a long way. Uh, but as you mentioned, Jake Allen has really been the, the highlight of this series uh, and has been you know one of the best out there. He's faced 117 shots uh, and made 114 saves. So he's right up there with uh, Henrik Lundqvist and, and Freddie Anderson among, you know, mo- uh, most rubber seen in this opening series. So uh, definitely will probably continue to be a goaltending battle. I don't expect we'll see much beyond the, the two goal win uh, that we saw in game three. It should be pretty tight all the way, uh, but it could end as quickly as game four. AJ, the surprise for me is when I look at the matchup at center, uh, I leaned Minnesota in this series because of the likes of Koivu and Stahl, two big rangy guys who are playmakers who've had exceptional years there. I didn't think St. Louis had a match for them in the middle of the ice, and so far they've been limited to one assist each in in the total of the three games, and, and each averaging over 20 minutes per game. So they're not getting anything from their two veteran pivots, and that's really where the problems begin and end for Minnesota. St. Louis got a real shot in the arm when with the addition of Vladimir Sabotka who was their property before he went uh, overseas to play but he's back now in the fold as a late playoff addition that's quite an add-on when you can add some more depth quality and experience to that uh, veteran laden roster they're led by Alex Steen who was my call as a key guy for St. Louis so I feel somewhat vindicated at least I mentioned his name as a guy that should produce and he has been a guy who's been in the playoff wars before but St. Louis's defense to me excuse me has been a key part of this playoff uh, success early on and really where they have the biggest edge over the three games that we've seen in this series to date so full marks to st louis for their three nothing lead i agree with you i don't think there's a way out for for minnesota now 
They're in big trouble. And the team that entered the playoffs in big trouble was Calgary. They, they could have pointed to any other matchup almost, and they'd have feel, felt a lot better. But Anaheim really has a mastery over these guys that dates back over some 20 games in Anaheim, particularly in a head-to-head battle where it's the longest streak of success by one team over another and the Ducks continued it with a pair of 3-2 wins at home to to take an early lead in this series and they actually uh, built on that when Corey Perry scored an overtime winner in a thrilling 5-4 Anaheim win in Calgary so it's uh, again another team that's down 3-0 against a team that we both thought was uh, I think going to win this series so I think we're going to get a check mark on the Anaheim side of this one for both of us. Yeah, absolutely. Although uh, in that game, it it did look like it might go the other way. Uh, Calgary stormed out to a 4-1 lead. I think the interesting part here is whether the Ducks go back to Jonathan Gibson for game four. Uh, They pulled him last night. Bernier uh, shut down all 16 uh, shots on, on goal after he entered the game. And so it'll be interesting to see what they decide to do. I personally, I would put John Gibson back out there. I think this was just an anomaly. Uh, his backup and, and his uh, you know forwards and, and teammates bailed him out here. I personally put him back in. On the flip side, do you have to start to wonder if it's time to pull Brian Elliott? He's got just a .887 save percentage and a 3.67 goals against average. Uh, and so do you give Chad Johnson a look? Again, this is another one. I, I don't expect them to make that change, but it's certainly a discussion that has to be had. I think on, on their bench, he's just given up, you know, uh, 11 goals already at this point. Now, granted, they've all been one goal games, so maybe you cut him a little slack there. Um, but if he can't find a way to get the win, you know, it might be time to, to get a change. And, and maybe it's not even about him, to be totally honest with you. You know, maybe putting in Chad Johnson kind of ignites a spark under, um, you know, under the, the rest of the, the Flames team. But and the other thing, too, at the end of the day, you got to win four straight. It's certainly not going to hurt you at this point to try out Johnson because Elliott's not getting it done. Yeah. And one other thing to point out is that five on five, this has been a real mismatch. Calgary has received much of their offense from the power play. When you point out Sean Monaghan has three power play goals, Versteeg has one, Bennett has another. That's five of their total goals in this series. And so uh, out of the 11 and so... Uh, sorry, out of the eight that they've scored. So uh, really, you got to think that Anaheim's had the edge on, on them at, at even strength. And, and the fact is they've got size and experience on both sides of this, the equation, but Anaheim has more of it. And that's really been the tiebreaker for me when the likes of Perry and Getzlaff have been playing at full throttle. The younger uh, Flames just haven't had an answer for them. And uh, I repeat, there's a real mastery in the head-to-head matchup, which has involved a lot of the core players on both clubs for quite some time so really a matchup that Calgary would have liked to avoid in the first round has gone pretty much according to Hoyle as I like to say and the Ducks look like they're ready to roll on and they will make the quick work of the the visiting club from Alberta and another club from Alberta is uh, holding their own against San Jose it's a second California versus Alberta matchup in these playoffs but this time the Canadian club is leading Edmonton Oilers dropped a 3-2-1 overtime loss to San Jose in the first game which I thought was going to be a telling thing when you think about the way the experienced club did uh, rebound uh, after a tough start in a really noisy Edmonton stadium but uh, the pros uh, showed up for San Jose and took that one but surprisingly and really the shocking thing about this is the two shutouts that have followed in favor of Edmonton Cam Talbot who uh, a couple of fans that I know out that way they said he's the real MVP for the Oilers and you really have to give him credit for shutting the door and uh, making those guys sound really smart in terms of that call when you think of the Oilers you think of the high-powered offense McDavid, Dreisaitl and company but really, two, two shutdown defensive efforts have opened some eyes in these playoffs early on and made me think maybe Edmonton could be uh, Destiny's darlings. Well, and I think you also have to talk about the completely inept Sharks power play. Uh, they have converted at just 7.1% in the playoffs, not to mention they gave up a pair of shorthanded goals in right. Game 2 that were the, the deciding factor. Um, they haven't scored since Melker Carlson got that overtime winner, as you mentioned. Uh, and I think that the problem for them is that renders Martin Jones 1.66 goals against average effectively useless. I mean, he's been 
decent in net. Uh, Cam Talbot, I do think, uh, should get the MVP team vote here because, you know, I don't know how long the Oilers can continue to rely on Zach Kaysan to, to keep finding ways to get it in the back of the net. You look at their top five scores from the regular season, uh, dry settle, Ryan Nugent Hopkins and Jordan Emberly, three of those guys have combined for one assist. So they're not necessarily getting the scoring from some of the guys they're used to. Now, McDavid and Lucic have still been doing it for him. And so I think more to your point or rather your friend's point, uh, that means it has to be Cam Talbot is the one that's keeping them in the games with the back-to-back shutouts. And so uh, it's definitely a goaltending battle there. Uh, you know, Martin Jones has been great, and I think it's just unfortunate for him that Cam Talbot's just been a little bit better. And on the other side of the coin, the Sharks, uh, we, we've talked for maybe uh, even last year, we were wondering, would it be the last playoff run for the likes of Marlowe and Thornton? And certainly we're seeing some chinks in the armor there with Thornton only be able to suit up for one of the three games so far. I understand he's going to be healthy and good to go for their in the fourth game, which they need him uh, because if they lose, they're really almost done here so uh, I think they need to to get the juice that they can from their presumptive team leader there and really another factor here is Brett Burns has continued some ordinary play down the stretch no points in in any of the three games that's really something when when you see that uh, the leading scorer among the NHL defensemen has been blanked through three games and the ice time that he gets at 26 minutes a game he should get some more bang for the buck than than what they're showing he's got 13 shots on goal but uh, nothing has been productive in terms of any, anything resulting in, in points or goals for the club there. And really, they got, they got to get something from, from the veterans because uh, they've only got three goals in this series. So, I mean, they give it up five, but uh, you, you're scoring one goal a game. Unless you're playing soccer, that's not good enough. <laughs> AJ will switch gears now and we have we didn't do the FanDuel ga- thing last week because there were no games on uh, on the show night so we'll give our fans of FanDuel uh, a bit of a reminder that we do uh, want to put some lineups together here uh, and we will give a nod to to our host uh, sponsor in a moment but let's let's look at the lineups based on the three games that are on tap for tonight uh, certainly uh, we'll go through the the games too and we look at uh, Pittsburgh and Columbus AJ you you've got an eye on that one uh, let's let's actually handicap the games a little bit before we go into our lineups what do you expect tonight from that game well I I'm torn on this one I do expect uh, some some production out of the Penguins. They they have the most powerful or most potent offense uh, all throughout the season, and, and that hasn't really wavered too much in in the postseason here either. Um, but I expect a motivated Blue Jackets team, and so uh, I, I think if I'm if I'm picking with my heart, which my lineup might trend that way a little bit, uh, I'm definitely still looking at Penguins, and I think that's still a good call because I wouldn't expect this to be you know, a one nothing contest. I, I'm expecting some goals tonight, uh, but I do ultimately, I think Columbus because they're home might have the slight edge. Um, and so we'll give you a d- couple different looks here. Uh, I'm still going to go heavy uh, penguins, but I'll tip to the optimizers output uh, a little early here. They're the optimizers going more heavy on the blue jacket. So we'll go through those in a second. You can kind of go either way on this, but I wouldn't expect a 1-0 shutout, that's for sure. Yeah, and in terms of the line for tonight's game, it, it does echo what you're saying. Columbus is a narrow favorite, minus 107 on the money line. Over-under set at 5.5, which is... Uh five has been more of the standard so they're expecting a a little bit more offense i guess i agree with you that though it could be a real shootout here and i like your call i am leaning columbus in this one i I can't believe that two teams that were so evenly matched during the regular season could be so disparate uh, in the in the playoffs and i think if columbus is going to get a game it has to be tonight uh well obviously because they'll be down four nothing and done (laughs) if they don't so uh, other games on tap the montreal canadians heading into New York with a 2-1 lead. And that's also a pick game for the money line. It's a favoring the Rangers at minus 103, the over-under set at five, which is a nod to the defensive style of both both teams. Uh, I see the Rangers evening this series. I think these are two very evenly matched teams, AJ. Uh, you might re- remember we were talking about this series. For the most of the month of March, it was known that they would meet up. They played three pretty close regular season games with Montreal getting a bit of an edge there but uh, in sweeping the games, but they were all close. And these first three games of the series have been just as close. So I think New York evens up the series. What's your call on tonight's game? 
Yeah, I'm going to agree with you there too, Paul. And, and mostly because it's at home for, for the Rangers. I, I think that's going to help settle them down a little bit, um, get them back into this contest. Now, as far as, you know, building your lineup, I think in this game, you really got to pick and choose your spots. Um, the goaltending here is just, a, you know, kind of an elite level matchup, although all the playoffs really have been. There haven't been too many guys um, that are throwing up stinkers other than, you know, maybe Brian Elliott. But um, I think... So it really, you have to target guys. Um, I'm, I'd look for guys on, on the power play in this one, uh, especially, you know, take advantage of when you have that extra man and, and use that in your lineup too. Uh, I, I do agree. I think the Rangers tie it back up to two tonight. Uh, I give them much like the money line, the slight edge just for being at home. And there's a third game tonight, a little bit later on, 10 o'clock start. The other ones are 7 and 7.30 respectively, by the way, Eastern time. But Edmonton still in San Jose. The 10 o'clock start uh, features a, a money line favoring the San Jose Sharks, a minus 114, also a very narrow uh, line there in, in terms of the home favorite. And the over-under set at 5, I guess a nod to the two shutouts that Edmonton's thrown up. But uh, in this one, I expect Edmonton's offense to be firing a little bit, AJ. And it wouldn't surprise me that they come out with a, with a win to take a stranglehold on this series. I just think that the young guns have too much leg power and, and skating ability. And, and I expect the top line of McDavid and Dreisaitl to uh, drive things. They'll be lean, I'll be leaning on them a little bit in terms of the construction of my lineup and a bit of an Edmonton stack where I think that they're, they're feeding off the confident, confidence of their goaltending and defensive play, which has been more than equal to what San Jose, been able, San Jose has been able to throw up. And that confidence goes straight to the legs of the, the top six, the young guns of Edmonton, who really are, are finally writing the first positive chapter in their history in quite some time. Well, Paul, I know we like to give our, our listeners uh, different perspectives, different things to look at, but I can't disagree with you on this one either. Uh, we're lining up pretty close on tonight's slate. I, I agree. I think if they can get Dreisaitl going, uh, it's gonna, they're going to make short work of them here. Patrick Maroon hasn't uh, done a ton either, uh, and if they can get their offense going. I think the concern with San Jose is that their top guys are still – they're playing now. You got uh, Thornton's back. Uh, you got um, – you got Couture back as well, but they're still banged up. I mean, if this wasn't the postseason, I, I'd question whether these guys are even playing. You know, Couture's mouth uh, after taking that puck is is pretty, uh, you know, bruised and battered. Uh, and you know, Thornton's got the knee. Jumbo Joe just doesn't look like the same player uh, that he was last year. Uh, you know, while he's struggling with that knee injury, and so there's just too much kind of veteran. Uh, damage out there on, on their team. And they don't have the depth. I, I don't think that Edmonton has that they can rely on other guys to step up. So I agree with you. I, I think the Oilers take a three, one lead uh, tonight. All right. Now it's time for us to build our lineups for the three games uh, under the FanDuel rules of play. So AJ, I'll throw to you with your centers and uh, you haven't got that Crosby guy in your lineup tonight. I don't. I, uh, I decided to go a, a pretty different route. No, I kid. It's actually not that different. I'm going Evgeny Malkin instead uh, for 8,800. Going to save a little bit of money, uh, not much. It's only $200 difference, but uh, it helps just you know just a little bit. Every every dollar counts. Uh, and so doing my my stereotypical high low, I've got Malkin in there, and then Mark Letestu for Edmonton. Uh, he's he's a you know a third a third line guy generally. Um, and he's found ways to, to produce, not at the same levels uh, per se, but he's got two assists in, in the three games. Uh, he's got uh, nine shots on goal in those outings, uh, and that includes four blocks as well. So he's been right around uh, the you know, 15, 16. Now the last game he did put up just 3.2 points, but I think that'll just serve to maybe lower uh, his, uh, his value there. And so uh, for me, Mark Letestu at 3,600, uh, is a good value paired along Melkin for 88. Uh, that's the middle of my lineup. Paul, what did you do for centers? Well, I've teased the Edmonton thing, so I'm going to go right to the top of their ladder in terms of the key players, and I look at Connor McDavid for $8,400. I was surprised the price tag on him wasn't a little bit higher, to be quite frank. So I'll grab him and gladly put him in there. I think it's time for him to have a breakout game in these playoffs, and a chance to take a stranglehold is certainly an incentive over a San Jose team that you mentioned is a little bit banged up with injuries at the pivot position. Couture and Thornton uh, really not 
up to matching him in terms of the, the abilities uh, and, and the health situation. So I'm thinking that, that uh, McDavid has a chance to really shine tonight. And then I'm going to go to the Montreal Rangers game where I look for Derek Stepan, who uh, I think the Rangers have a bit of an edge in the middle of the ice here. And Stepan is one of the reasons why. So I'm going to count on him to deliver the goods at a price tag of only $5,400. Not much of it is expected offensively in this series. And I think this is typical of the price tag of a first-line pivot. But I'll take Stepan uh, for the Rangers. And I might even receipt for, see him receipt for an empty net goal here. So it could be some cheap value at the end of the game. And uh, I'll be happy to pick that up for that low price tag. AJ, we've got to come up with four wingers. I'm curious to know who you've picked uh, among the Penguins to, to make your, <laughs> your four-pack on the, on the wing position. Well, I got two guys here, and, and they're the two higher-priced guys. Uh, I went with Phil Kessel at 7,300. You know, he's playing alongside Malkin. Uh, he is on that potent uh, power play with Crosby and Malkin out there. He's kind of the third cog in, in that machine there. Uh, he's got three points in the, in the postseason so far, has you know actually seven, uh, excuse me, six points in his last six games if you go back into the, the uh, regular season as well. Uh, so I like everything that's going on there. For 6,600, I had to go with Jake Gunsel. He's been just too hot playing on Crosby's wing. Uh, he actually uh, has just uh, only game one was the last time he didn't score. Uh, he's scored in the final uh, five games of the regular season, it looks like, and then added four more goals in the postseason here, including one uh, or I'm sorry, two on the power play. And so Genzel has just been a goal machine of late. So at 6,600, pretty good value. Uh, I know that's a high price tag, but I still think that's good value for how much he's been scoring. I said to pick and choose your spots in the Montreal and Rangers matchup. And Alexander Radulov is, is the guy for me, 6,100. He's got uh, you know, three, uh, three points in game two, two points in game three. Uh, so he's been on an absolute tear of late. I would expect him to still uh, get some points tonight, even though I think the Rangers will come out with the win. And then my last guy, Milan Lucic, uh, I mentioned he is one of the top five guys in Edmonton who is uh, scoring. He hasn't scored in the last two. Uh, but he did have a goal and an assist in that opening game. And so I think he'll get back on track tonight for 5,600. So that's how my winger shook out. Paul, what did you do? Before I give that uh, my nod, I'm going to highlight or rattle off among your picks. The, you know, Montreal has been searching for a team leader, and this guy is a real heart and soul player who has emerged all season long, and really he delivered the goods with a with a Forsberg-esque uh, goal in, uh, in the last game, making... The Rangers goalie Lundqvist looked pretty sick there with a one-handed delivery of the puck into the net. So I uh, really wanted to highlight him among your picks, uh, and uh, I think he could be a difference maker for the Canadians for as long as he's there. It's interesting to see. It'll be interesting to see what kind of a contract he gets at the end of this season too. He's a guy who's over 30 years of age, returned to the NHL, and now I want to see what they do with him in the offseason. But right now they're leaning heavily on him, and I like the call tonight. Uh, in terms of my players, I, I teased Edmonton earlier on, and I'm going to go with McDavid and Drysidle as the key p- parts of my offense here. So Drysidle gets in there at $6,400. I just don't know how, how San Jose can l- keep limiting these guys. Too much speed, too much skill among that duo, and I think that they explode tonight in a game that really ultimately tilts the series in their favor. Uh, I'm going to pair him with JT Miller, a guy who is uh, underpriced, I think, at $4,300 and really not delivering uh, much so far in these playoffs. But uh, I have some Ranger friends that say to me repeatedly that he doesn't take too many nights off. And I'm counting on him to, to show his wares in a game the Rangers have to have. And maybe he gives me some really good value for that low price tag. Then I'm going to go, not a shot across your bow as a Penguins fan, but I'm going to go <laughs> Columbus Blue Jackets for my final two picks. And Cam Atkinson, Nick Felino. each of them has a pair of points in these playoffs in the early going against Pitt. And uh, they need these guys who are two of their physical forwards to really lead the way in that department and hopefully tilt the scales back in somewhat of a more uh, Columbus's direction uh, to salvage something from this series. It's their last shot tonight if they don't get it right. So they'll be leaning on both these guys who are leaders in the score sheet and in the physical play. So I expect big efforts from both of them at 6,700 and 5,600 respectively. We need two blue liners and you've gone a little bit off the board, uh, I see, uh, in your picks. You've had to, I guess. You spent a lot of money elsewhere. I did. I, I spent so much on, on my pens that I, I did have to go a little bit cheaper. Now, I did still find uh, guys that are on the power play, albeit the second units. 
Um, but you know, some teams split the time. Uh, there's a handful of teams that rely very heavily on that first unit. Other teams tend to split, you know, the time a little more evenly between the two. And so I went with Mark Edward Vasek, uh, for San Jose. He got two assists in game one, uh, hasn't scored since, but he'll get you some blocks in there as well. He's got, uh, averaging three blocks per game. Uh, and so I like his price tag at 4,300 and for what he can offer. And as I mentioned, he does get some time on the power play. Uh, and then, uh, Brady Skay from, uh, New York, uh, for 4,100, he got a goal in, in their last game. Another guy that that's gotten a few shots. I, I would like that number a little bit higher. Uh, he does add a, a handful of blocks, not quite as much as Vlasic does. So 4,100, it's definitely a little bit of a compromise when you're, you know, when you're spending up in other places, you have to find value guys. So I like the fact that they're both on the power play. It gives them a better chance to score. Uh, and so I kind of keyed in on, on a few guys uh, lower down the, the, the board there. Uh, Paul, for your blue line, it looks like uh, you didn't spend too much more than I did. No, I didn't. But I managed, like you, to look for some first-line guys who kind of are linchpins to their offense on the power play. And that led me to Edmondson's uh, bomb at 4600 bucks and McDonough for the Rangers at $5,200. Both these guys, similar profiles. If they're going to get anything from the defense in terms of offense, it'll go through these players in both cases. And as I mentioned, as, and as you implied, you got to look for guys who are going to get that power play time and upwards of 20 minutes of play both these guys fit the bill and i'm happy to squeeze them into my lineup for less than a total of ten thousand dollars so i think it's a good job of hunting down value from by me and you in this case uh, on the blue line and and really a key to building your offense tonight you can kind of save some money on the blue line and go a little bit heavier on offense as we both did in this evening's tilts Uh, we rounded out with our goalies of choice i'm not shocked at your pick but i'm thinking i'm picking from the same game here yeah so i am gonna go with mark andre Fleury for 8600 and I'll be honest, I'm probably letting uh, my fandom get in the way of this one. Uh, so just to give our listeners a, a maybe another option that's at the same price point is Henrik Lundqvist at 8600 uh, He has been, as I mentioned, he's been good up against Carey Price. The numbers are coming in about even. Uh, I think Lundqvist should get the win tonight. I like the Rangers at home. Uh, and so they're, they're the same price. So if you're with me, if you think Pittsburgh can get the sweep, uh, then, you know, by all means use Marc-Andre Fleury, but just, you know, for another uh, option at the same price tag, just to give that non-biased, uh, non-fandom pick, <laughs> Henrik Lundqvist, 8,600 is another option for you. Well, I can't pick Freddie Anderson because the Leafs don't play tonight, so I'm going to pick Sergei <laughs> Bobrovsky for $8,100. Uh, it's kind of surprising to me that the Vezina Trophy uh, favorite probably has been outplayed by Flurry so far this year series, but I can't see that happening for a fourth straight game. So I think the the law of large numbers, as I like to say, uh, favors Columbus to finally get one, and that means you save some money here against some of the uh, more expensive alternatives. I'll go with my head and not my heart, since it's not impacted by this matchup. And I'll say Bravovsky gets the W, and uh, the, the Penguins are forced to play another game in this series against them before they can wrap it up. Now, AJ, at Rotowire headquarters, we have one of the league, the industry's uh, greatest inventions called the FanDuel opt- Rotowire Optimizer Tool, I should say. And AJ, can you tell your, our listeners a bit about tonight's picks and uh, how they lean? Yeah, so the, as, as Paul mentioned, we have the optimizer. It's available um, for FanDuel uh, as well as a, a few other options as well. But uh, if you look at that FanDuel optimizer tonight, it's going to start off uh, a little uh, low in price for the centers. It's going with Thomas Hurdle for San Jose. He's just uh, 4200 and then uh, Sam Gagne for 4000 Now, that's just the first uh, Columbus Blue Jacket. So clearly, uh, the optimizer is trending towards them tonight, uh, likely due to the fact that the money line does slightly favor the Blue Jackets, although it is pretty close. Uh, you look at wingers, it starts off with Max Pacioretty for Montreal at 7300 He's you know, going to be one of your higher-priced guys there, but ownership might be a little bit down um, compared to some of the other you know, top names. His name doesn't necessarily show up there, so that might be a good reason to use him. It has Joe Pavelski for San Jose uh, at 6900 so definitely stacking Sharks tonight, again, in the optimizer, probably coming down to the close money line leaning in their favor. The final two wingers, uh, Cam Atkinson for 7600 who you talked about, Paul, and then Boone Jenner. Uh, saving some money there at 4400 Now, the optimizer does not have the concerns 
that we have about Brent Burns. It's paying up for him at 7100 That's way below uh, his usual price tag that we saw throughout the year of upwards of 8000 It's probably almost $1,000 less. So it could be a, a good reason for the optimizer to target him. And then it's also spending up uh, for Shea Weber at 5600 for Montreal. And that's certainly not a bad pick at all. And then rounding out the goaltending, this is where the optimizer spent its most money. Cam Talbot, 8800 And that's certainly not a, a pick to argue. Now, the only thing I do find kind of strange, and you may want to avoid the optimizer, did go with Cam Talbot in goal while also picking uh, three Sharks. That's not a strategy I normally would employ <laughs> to pick guys to score against my goalie. Um, but by all means, if you want to go, you know, with those kind of numbers factors that the optimizer throws out there, uh, that's what it's got for you. You know what? That's an interesting point. I echo your sentiment in terms of that kind of strategy, but I wonder how it really turns out in the end. I'd love to see some industry stats and see if we can find them uh, before our season is out here. But FanDuel's been a great uh, joy for me to participate in. I've been playing it for a few years now, thanks to their sponsorship with our, our uh, podcasts over the years and uh, really great fun on a nightly basis for a guy who used to be uh, solely engrossed in season long. It's been a revelation for me. And with that, we want to give thanks to our sponsors at FanDuel with the reminder that baseball fans, the wait is over. Baseball's back, which means FanDuel is back and it's better than ever. FanDuel, where fantasy baseball is there for everyday fans. There's new contests starting every day. No busted seasons. Just pick a contest, choose your team, and compete against other fans. New this year, there's an upgraded experience. There's late swap contests where you can edit your players right up to the start time of their individual games. There's no more worry about a late lineup scratch or a sudden storm. Non-late swap contests are still available too. There's updated scoring as well, something you want to be aware of, that quality starts were added so your pitchers will have more control over their own performance. They have a friends mode where, AJ, you and I should create a league at some point for our friends, choose the days of the week that we play each other, and contests will be created automatically. Then they also have throw in a leaderboard that will keep track of how all, we, all of us would stack up against each other. For guys who enjoy bragging rights, AJ, this is a natural, I think. <laughs> and for me, I think i got to lean in this direction because my Blue Jays are off to a 2-10 start. And, and the pundits around here are already talking about, wow, when does the file, fire sale start? Uh, historically, this does not bode well for my team to make a playoff run. Uh, no, not too many teams uh, start off this poorly and do it. Uh, who's your club, AJ, and how are they looking so far? Well, I'm a Brewers fan, so uh, really any season that ends uh, near or around 500 is, is pretty decent for us, unfortunately. Um, we're definitely in a, in a huge rebuild right now, uh, more so than any other year. So it'll be interesting to see uh, who's still on the team at the end of the year. Uh, as far as you know, my uh, season so far on FanDuel, it's been a little rough. I know I'm definitely going to have to start tuning in uh, to the baseball podcast on Wednesday, maybe steal some of your tricks and tips that you throw out there to hopefully get better uh, for my FanDuel slates. Thank you for that ad, AJ. We do our best. I have a lot of fun with John McKechnie, and I invite listeners to tune in Monday to Friday at the DFS uh, baseball pods here on Rotowire uh, at the DFS, uh, hosted on uh, Megaphone. Uh, you'll find us. Uh, have, and we'll remind you to have all the fantasy that baseball has to offer. FanDuel, where you can be sports rich. Sign up today. Go to FanDuel.com slash RW. There's a special offer for new users. Deposit today and you get a free six-month Rotowire subscription plus five free entries. That's up to $50 in value to try a variety of sports on FanDuel. That's FanDuel.com slash RW. And, and I'll remind you, please tune in. Uh, every day we throw out these DFS pods and uh, I do the Wednesday thing with John McKechnie, but we have other hosts and, and co-hosts that do a great job of giving you the best information on the daily plays that will give you the edge in FanDuel play. Now, uh, AJ, it's time to turn to our stud of the week, and I'm going to give you the lead. Uh, in this case, you came up with a great one. Well, for me, the stud of the week has to be Clark MacArthur, scoring his first goal in two years. Uh, he had some uh, pretty serious concussions, that have kept him out of, of play. He didn't play at all during the regular season this year uh, and is back and, and better than ever. He got the goal uh, in the, the postseason here. And just to see not only the pure uh, joy on his face, you saw it in his ex uh, celebration there, but being able to do it at home 
and the just enormous roar from the fans. You saw his teammates on the bench get excited for it, too. Uh, this is one of those great things about sports. It, it, we've been able to highlight it a couple times this season about guys that have been able to overcome some injury struggles, get back on the ice, and, and get back to being at their best. And so it's great to see him, and he's having an impact on this series. There's no doubt about it. Uh, he's you know adding an extra element. He's been playing on the power play for them as well. Uh, so it's great to see Clark MacArthur back on the ice. You know what? I echo the sentiments. He had a stop in Toronto, and I, I got to grew to admire his style of play. He showed up every night, and he's a skilled player, but not a, not a top-line player. But he's a guy that you count on for secondary support and scoring. And really, uh, when you start to line up the intangibles that we highlighted about Ottawa in that series against Boston, it, just the fact that he's been able to suit up is a, is a, a real plus and a galvanizing thing. And as, it's a rallying point for a team that might otherwise, otherwise be outgunned. And, and certainly, they have a couple of those type players in the lineup. Uh, Mark Mathot almost lost a finger. Craig Anderson in goal has the situation with his wife that we've alluded to a couple of times. And uh, MacArthur, too. So three situations in Ottawa that, that aren't uh, are playing themselves out on the ice, but there's also quite a backdrop to them. And it kind of makes them a bit of a Cinderella team, I think. If they can get past uh, Boston, which is a bit of a coin flip right now, it'll be uh, largely on the strength of the fact that they've galvanized, as I said, around guys like MacArthur. Class act, pros pro and a guy who uh, is back in the NHL uh, scoring his first goal in a couple of years as you, as you said on the flip side though AJ we got a few recurring themes that we touch on during the course of the season and as long as the uh, NHL referees continue to act a little bit like WWE referees I'm going to continue to call <laughs> them out and we had one such instance the other night uh, in game three in Boston where Bobby Ryan got away with a headshot pure and simple uh, on Riley Nash Riley Nash retaliated and you know I, I challenge you AJ if if I get hit in the head my reaction is to look for the guy that delivered the blow and I'll get him right away and if I get a penalty I get a penalty but really I'd like to see the referees get the initial shot right too and the the troubling thing to me here is that Ryan goes ahead and gets the game-winning goal on the ensuing power play in overtime to add insult to injury. That's not a good way to decide a hockey game. That's certainly not good optics uh, in in uh, in that way as well. So first of all, your thought there. And then I have another thing I'm going to add before we close out. But let's deal with this uh, rant of the week first. Well, I mean, I, I certainly understand the reaction. And I'd be right there with you. But they're always going to get the second guy. This yeah. is not unique to hockey uh, it happens across all sports. You know, officials can only watch so much of the ice surface. So, it, you know, in my opinion, really, this is more on Riley Nash than, than on the officials. I, I agree. I'd like to see him get the, the call right, but he has to be smarter than that, especially you got to know what time of, of game you're in. If this is the first period, you're setting a tone for the rest of the game. You know, that's fine. You still don't love having to go on the penalty kill, but this is going to hurt you in overtime of a postseason series and so you really have to be smarter about this this is something that i talked about earlier with the penguins letting the physical play not get that to them not bother them i i don't blame nash for his reaction i would have the same one by all means but i do think he needs to be smarter about it and yes i would like the officials to get it right but missed calls are part of the game unfortunately uh, it happens, you know, all throughout the regular season. It happens in all sports. And so it's just something you need to learn to deal with, uh, in my opinion. Yeah. And AJ, you know, you can make the point that they're playing a series of games. So there's going to be ample opportunity the next game to take a shot at the guy during the course of play. Just keep your eye out for him. You don't need to get immediate retribution. And a great example of that was in the Leaf series against Washington. Brooks Orpik laid out Roman Polak with a good clean check, but it ended uh, Pollock season in all likelihood and and Leafs uh, took him to task I highlighted uh, Nazem Kadri hitting him twice on one shift that effectively turned the ta tables on last night's hockey game it was a case of the Leafs answering the bell for something that they didn't answer to the same game that had happened against Pollock but they did take a number and they got some retribution and they got they hit the caps where it hurts most right on the scoreboard so good for them for doing it the right way as you suggested there's a way to get the retribution correct you don't need to get it immediately uh, in particularly in these playoffs before we sign off though i have to highlight something that i observed last night call this rant one uh, b uh, aj <laughs> the leafs do an in-game promotion where they honor our troops by highlighting uh, a, a member of our military 
and uh, saluting them in front of the crowd. A veteran from the Leafs alumni comes out, gives them a sweater. It automatically generates a rousing cheer, perhaps the loudest on most nights, and the clapping goes on for a couple of minutes. And last night, they did the same thing late in the first period, and to my dismay and shock, three 20-something-year-old guys all dressed up where their hair, with their hair just so neatly coiffed and their cell phones in hand, they made the mistake of remaining seated directly in front of me. And AJ, they caught holy hell from me, I got to tell you. And I hope that all our listeners never miss an opportunity to thank our brave military types for what they do and the freedom that we enjoy in North America. For my part, I just had to call these guys out. I was so shaken by what I saw. My daughter was afraid I was going to get into a fight. She grabbed me and held me back. But I told them some things that I won't repeat here on the radio and in no uncertain terms made them aware that they were well short of expectations when they didn't join the rest of the crowd in a thunderous ovation. They sheepishly got up out of their seats eventually to join the clapping and and salute. But I was shocked at the way they behaved and I felt uh, incensed to the point I had to call them out. And a proud moment for me was that fans around me shook my hand for uh, making the comments that I did. But I didn't do it to generate that reaction. I I did it because of genuine respect for the military. I never miss an opportunity to shake the hands of a military type when I see them walking the streets even in in Toronto. And and I urge our fans and our listeners to uh, give a nod to those who make us enjoy the freedoms that we do in North America and throughout the world. Uh, I don't have the guts to do what they do, and I respect the fact that they do it. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And, and Paul, it's situations like that that honestly make me uh, somewhat embarrassed to be lumped into what they call the millennial uh, age group. I, I'm definitely on the, the upper trend of that group, but technically still what you would call a millennial. And I, I do think it has something to do. You highlighted the phones um, being so glued to the phone that maybe they just weren't even aware of what was going on around them. Uh, You see this all the time, fans uh, in stadiums glued to their phones. I had the uh, enjoyment to go down and see uh, the Penguins in in the Eastern Conference Finals last year. I barely took any pictures. My phone stayed in my pocket because I was there to experience the game uh, in real time. And so to be there and to enjoy it, and I don't need to capture every single moment. Now, I'm not. I have a smartphone. I take pictures all the time. It's loaded with pictures of my dog. I'm sure my impending child will be uh, filling up the picture soon. I I don't begrudge using it, but let's get out there. Let's actually experience what's going on around us. Let's see what's happening. And so maybe just that was why maybe they didn't even know uh, what was going on. So tip of the cap to you to get those guys out of their seats. Hopefully it was just an oversight and not a a blatant disrespect on their part. Uh, And so, yeah, I salute you as well, Paul, for for doing what you did and and making a, a stand for our men and women in the military. Thank you very much, partner. That wraps it up for this week's podcast with Statsman and AJ. Remember to send your comments and questions on Twitter. Follow me, Paul Bruno, at Statsman22, and you can follow AJ at AJScholes24. We ask you to look out for podcast Hockey Pod every week so that you get all the latest news and our tips to stay ahead of the competition in your fantasy contests. So long, everybody. 